Thank you, brother. That's our prayer for everyone here today, that no one would leave without knowing his or her sins, having been released from the burden on the back to resting in the Savior's hands. Thank you, Clyde. Let me invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're looking this morning at Paul's exposition of the meaning of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 1. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are, ra- if, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father... Bless now the preaching of your word. Hide me behind the cross of Christ. And let your people see his glory only. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm going to pose a question to you this morning that really is a question you should answer each and every Lord's Day. And the question is, why are you here? For some, this is a tradition. Easter and Christmas, we attend a worship service 
For others, it is a nice contemplation. There have been men in history who seem to love to read God's Word, but who said, well, I like the Bible, but we've got to rid it of all its mythology. Think of Rudolf Bultmann and others. We, we want the, the simple truths of the Word, but let's get rid of the miracles of resurrection and things like that. If that's why you're here, then it really is a waste of time, isn't it? The objective of this service and the exaltation of the name of Jesus Christ is really not to, to give us a feel-good. It's not to give us a nice meditation. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then there really are many other ways that you could be spending your time this morning. Gardening and things of that nature. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, then you should be here. And not doing any of those other things. If Christ has been raised from the dead, listen, then all of those other things have meaning apart from the resurrection of the dead of Christ Not only does this worship service have meaning, but also so does every single thing that you do in your life. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, nothing has meaning. Nothing has value. Not worship. Not baseball. Not fishing. Not baptism. Not children. Not family. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives your whole life purpose and meaning. When we get here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there are really two divisions of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. From chapters 1 through 6, he is chastising them. They become divided. Every man for himself, and so to speak. And so Paul is chastising them for becoming Divided for allowing different divisions to develop within the church. And beginning in chapter 7, what he does is he starts answering questions. He becomes the pastor, shepherding them in both ways. So in chapter 7, he's answering questions about marriage, about food that is sacrificed to idols. And so we get to chapter 15, and he starts to answer questions about the resurrection. Something to keep in mind about the church at Corinth. This letter was written somewhere between three and five years after the resurrection of Christ. So this church is very, very immature. And there are people from all walks of life gathering together. Becoming unified, as it were, under the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we get to chapter 15, we start to think about, start to ponder the resurrection of Christ. Notice what the objection is. He says there 
in verse fi- chapter 15, verse 12, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, there have been religious people all along who have wanted sort of the trappings of religion, the practices of it, the, the idea of getting up on a Sunday morning and cleaning up and wrestling with the children and fighting with them in the station wagon all the way to the church building to sit in pews and to sing some happy songs But even then, and amongst the church at Corinth, there were some who were doing all of these things and yet saying there's no resurrection. For those of you this morning who profess faith in Christ, what is it that your faith offers you? I could put it a different way. What are you hoping in? What are you hoping for? Why are you participating in this worship service? Well, my parents invited me. It's Easter Sunday. Is it is this a momentary escape? Another attempt at a self-help remedy? Or does it have meaning? Biblically speaking, the resurrection gives meaning to at least two things that we're going to take out of this passage. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives meaning and content to our preaching, to your evangelism. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives meaning to faith. Let's notice first of all that the resurrection of Christ gives content to our preaching. Did you notice as we read the passage over and over and over again, Paul talks about proclaiming, doing, making a proclamation. Let's just go back to verse 1 of chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, literally, he says there, I would remind you of the good news that I good newsed to you, or that I gospeled to you. Listen, when I came to you, he's saying, I want you to think back on that moment. Think about the first moment that you met me as an apostle in reprobate Corinth. What was I saying to you? What drew you into this First Presbyterian Church of Corinth? It was preaching. The gospel I preached to you. It is the gospel I preached and through preaching you received it. You stand in it. You are being saved by it. You hold fast to that word that I preached. Paul repeatedly refers to this act of preaching. We go back to chapter 2. Remember how he began the letter. When I came to Corinth, he said there in chapter 2, verse 5, I determined to know nothing amongst you but Christ and Him crucified. Now in Paul's day, as in ours, preaching and teaching were fairly common acts. In fact, we learned that there were, there were men... I know you can't imagine this, but there were men who would go to various cities and they would make a living by selling their wisdom to other people. 
They were hucksters. Some preached the gospel, but they did so only for their personal gain. But Paul reminds us that not all preaching is the same. Not all evangelism is the same. And that's where you and I are challenged as we think about this passage and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What place does the resurrection of Christ play in your evangelism? Christ's resurrection is central to it. Paul notes that in this text. His preaching, Paul's preaching, included the resurrection from the dead. This was the hope that he is giving to others. That those, listen, those who are living in a state of death, as John would say in his first epistle, that those who are living in a state of death, dejected, joyless living, can be transferred into a state of life. Do you see that's this, the resurrection is central. That because of Christ's resurrection from the dead that we think about and celebrate today, you too can know the power of His resurrection. Not merely in the life that is to come, but today. You can be raised from the dead. But it is a future hope as well. And we are proclaiming that believers and unbelievers will experience a bodily resurrection. The resurrection is not just for the believer. Our preaching includes the fact that the believer and the unbeliever will be raised from the dead. We're reminded of this from John chapter 5, verses 28-29. to That when Christ appears... The believer and the unbeliever will be raised. The believer to perfect peace. The unbeliever to everlasting judgment. This resurrection which we proclaim is grounded in the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is, notice that word, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We look here often and we remember some of you may be gardeners and you plant a garden and you go out and you, you're watering it, you're weeding it, you're trying to keep the deer and all of the pests out of your garden and you notice that in due time, one plant will produce fruit. It's the first one. And that first fruit gives you an indication of what the rest of the crop is going to be like. When Christ was raised, His resurrection was a declaration to you in the body of Jesus Christ that all who put their faith and trust in Him alone for their salvation will, like Him, be raised bodily This is the content of our preaching. This has been, brothers and sisters, the core belief of Christians throughout time. You think of Adam when he named his wife Eve. What did that mean? Mother of the living, not mother of the dead. In Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham laid his son on that altar, what was he hoping for? If not, that God had the power of resurrection. 
In Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, he declares there that I know that I shall see my Redeemer with my waking eye standing upon the earth. The resurrection of Christ and our resurrection like Him is a core tenet of our evangelism. When you are sharing the Gospel with your brothers, with your friends, with your family, we are talking about resurrection. The power of the resurrection The power of resurrection can be yours. Job himself in chapter 14 and verse 14 said, Shall a man be raised from the dead? And it is this hope that in fact men are raised from the dead. In fact, one man has been. That has become the core tenet of our evangelism. You, I'm not telling you That your work is to prove the resurrection from the dead. You can't do that. You understand that. Paul here offers the only proof necessary in verse 3 and following. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ was raised from the dead going on. That he appeared to many. 500 people at one time. And he's telling them, listen, if you doubt this, many of them are still alive. Go ask them. The Scriptures never present to us the resurrection of Christ as something that we are to have a blind faith in. But, it is received by faith. We see secondly then, That the resurrection of Christ gives meaning to our faith. It is not only the content of our preaching, it it gives meaning to our faith. Notice again in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. You think about this. John Calvin and history and Martin Luther both are often quoted as saying that the doctrine of justification... that this is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. The doctrine of justification. You know it. That a guilty sinner like you and I can be declared innocent in God's sight only through faith by grace. But notice what Paul says here. First importance. The doctrine of justification itself stands upon the doctrine of the resurrection. If you do away with the doctrine of the resurrection, listen, there is no justification. This is what Paul is saying. If you release it in verse 2, if you do not hold fast to this word, this resurrection, your faith is vain. It is empty. It's meaningless. Just like our preaching. The doctrine of the resurrection is the foundation of our justification, of our salvation. By faith, we have fellowship with God, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. By faith, we are made right with God. Psalm 24, in that psalm, David asks the question, he says, Who will ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who will go up to the pinnacle of Zion except Him who has clean hands and a pure heart? 
Do you meet that qualification? The honest answer is no. No, I can't ascend the mountain of the Lord. So the hope that the resurrection of Christ Jesus offers to you is that through faith with Him, He will take you to the mountain of God to have communion with God Himself. Faith, our faith in the resurrection, it has an anticipation. Our children, when we make promises to them, they put their trust in those promises. When we tell them that we'll take them for an ice cream tomorrow, not today, they have faith that we're being truthful. Empty promises make empty faith. Our faith anticipates resurrection. This is the promise of our faith. It isn't good feelings in this life. It isn't that God will give us the best job. It isn't that we'll have riches and wealth and great health. That we'll have an attractive spouse. My wife got lucky. Um, Faith doesn't anticipate any of those things. Faith anticipates resurrection. Our faith looks forward to a resurrection from the dead. Our faith anticipates that this life, full of pain and misery, is not all that there is. Our faith looks forward to the resurrection of our loved ones who have gone before us, doesn't it? Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish minister, in writing to a woman whose daughter had died, said this to her, you've heard, you've heard certain people say, I'm sorry for your loss. Listen to what Samuel Rutherford says. Do you think her lost when she is but sleeping in the bosom of the Almighty? Think her not absent who is in such a friend's house. Is she lost to you who is found to Christ? If she were with a dear friend, although you should never see her again, your care for her would be but small. Oh, now is she not with a dear friend? And gone higher upon a certain hope that ye shall in the resurrection see her again? When, be ye sure, she shall be neither hectic nor consumed in body? Our hope is in the resurrection from the dead. Those of you who have lost loved ones, whose loved ones have died in the faith, your hope is in the resurrection from the dead. And Paul concludes, notice verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in other words, if we think 
that adding a little Jesus to our lives, sort of like sprinkling salt upon some bland mashed potatoes, it gives a little bit of flavor to this life. It gives a little bit of meaning, a little bit of joy here and there. It gives me something to do on a Sunday morning and hopefully a Sunday evening. If that's all this is for you, notice what Paul says. You are of all people most to be pitied. If only, if we believe in the resurrection only for this life, what a pitiful thing. There are so many other things that you could be doing with your time this morning. Now, none of them would have meaning. But the truth is, as Paul says in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And therefore, we do have hope. Our preaching is not in vain. Our faith, your faith, is not in vain. Because you, all of you who put your faith in Christ, you will be raised with Him. And you know it because the Spirit testifies to you even now that you have been raised and given the power of His Spirit. There are many who will attend worship twice per year. I ask you, why are you wasting your time? But in fact, you aren't. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And He is worthy of your worship. And His resurrection is the promise of your resurrection. Your believing loved ones will be seen again. You, you will be raised to life in Christ. Your faith has meaning. If you've discovered today that your faith is nothing more than an attempt at self-therapy, I invite you. Christ's arms are open. And He is ready and willing to receive you even now. Christian, find your comfort and knowing, in knowing that His victory over death is yours. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that we as believers have a living victory. That our faith is not vain. It is not empty. It is not void. Meaningless. That this service of worship is just that. We are singing to and praying to a living Christ who is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father who is ruling and reigning, whose enemies are being made a footstool for His feet. We anticipate the resurrection from the dead. We thank You for this promise. We ask now that by Your Spirit You would enable us to apply it to our lives faithfully, to walk in the reality of Christ's resurrection. We praise You in His name. Amen.